And here comes Milwaukee, Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Random Scrub Heat Podcast presented by The Basement. I am your host, LJ Cascon. I have the thunder from down under, my boy George, the father of The Basement, Pate Harrison, and then our guest that we've been teasing Twitter about for the last two weeks, Israel Gutierrez, famous personality on ESPN. You've seen him on Around the Horn. You've seen him on PTI. You've seen him on Highly Questionable. RIP, by the way, we miss Highly Questionable and Poppy. Mm. He's worked for the Miami Herald as well as Palm Beach Post, so he knows what he's talking about when it comes to your Miami Heat. We're very happy to have you on, Izzy. Thank you so much for taking some time out of what we know is a very busy schedule to come join us for a fun little backyard podcast. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And then we're going to, we'll just jump into it, honestly, because the Heat, it's a polarizing topic this season specifically. Before the season, if you even mentioned that this team wouldn't be a top three seed, you were dragged on Twitter for it. If you even said so much as the words play in tournament, people would look at you funny. That's kind of the reality that we're faced with right now with the Miami Heat, at least the 2022-2023 iteration. Where do you stand? Like, what, 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 what are the main issues that you see with this team? Why? A lot of the names are the same from last year. That was the number one seed. What are you seeing as the main issue and why it's just not really as coherent as it was last season? Um, I think it's, you know, it's a combination of things. Obviously it's not one single thing, but like one of the things that this team has always kind of needed and maybe like PJ took care of with his girth as opposed to his height. But I think this team needs some height to like get some, Cheap rebounds, cheap buckets, you know, that's part of why it felt like, you know, Dwayne Dedman was kind of when he was a quality fit was such a good fit because just like, oh, wow, finally somebody who can just reach out, grab a rebound, maybe even just tip it back, stuff like that um, to sort of make it a little easier for for Bam or make Bam not have to do everything on the defensive end. Um, and I think that that's where it gets sort of tiring that's where it gets exhausting literally for um you know a team that makes deep runs into the playoffs for the last three or four years is when you've just gotta you know just do so much work defensively and for every rebound um you know some of these big teams like cleveland uh just murdering them uh it seems like on the boards and just making work so hard uh for every rebound and i think when you don't match that with some cheap points here or there and like cheap points. I mean like, Hey, a three pointer that is, you know, most people don't make. And, you know, for a couple of years ago, that 45% three point shooting season from Duncan, it was, it was why the offense was anything special. It was why it was anything better than just ordinary. Um, it was because of that threat. And then it became what that threat allowed everybody else to do. Well, when that threat became less of a threat and it was more of a 38 to 40% threat, well, everybody else couldn't really do the same thing with the same ease. So it became more, especially in the playoffs, more on Jimmy, you know, especially because other guys weren't really feeling great late in the season. Um, and this year, it's a combination of both. Like, as much as there, there are so many things that you see Caleb Martin do and think, man, PJ could never. But it's just the idea of having some of that easy sort of you know whatever it is easy rebound easy defense easy just taking up space where you know the offensive players don't feel like they have a, a straight line to the basket where maybe with Caleb 
you know, they feel like they do because he's just thinner, frankly. <laughs> and so um, you take all that together and you combine it with the fact that this team has made these deep runs and it has been largely the same people and some of the commands and some of the responses and some of the requirements just don't like, you just don't match up. You just don't live up to that ask every single time at this point. So, you know, I said all that to say, Hey, that's, that's the reasons why this year's team has not been as good in the regular season, but it's also the same thing that makes me think, Hey, this team could still do what it needs to do in the playoffs. Like there isn't a singular game where you say, yeah, the heat are toast. They're going to get their asses kicked. No, like you get Joel Embiid and healthy Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia. They win that game. And I don't even think they even, you know, played that particularly well uh, offensively in that one. Um, you know, the Celtics, like any game against the Celtics, you're not going to assume anything. I think even if it's in Boston, even if it's a must win uh, I think they, they've been, been there, done that. And Jimmy has, you know, just recently been there, done that. And so, you know, I think the additions that they, 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 they made with Kevin and Cody Zeller sort of make a little bit easier, you know, a quick putback, you know, maybe a little post up for Kevin Love when you got, you know, a Donovan Mitchell on him. Um, things like that, I think, are sort of setting up for what this team can do or, or can match up with in the postseason. But I think their lack of panic comes from when you really boil it down, it's just like, hey, our shooting really hasn't been what it's been. And if if we go through a playoffs and still miss a bunch of open shots, I mean, what the hell? That is who we are. But if we go into the playoffs thinking, hey, all we have to do is play a little tad harder than we have in a regular season and some of these shots are going to fall, then I think you have something to hold out hope for. And so, yeah, I, I, I just can't, I, I picture so many, you know, Tyler hero driving dishes to wide open people and it's just clank, clank, clank. And like, you know, that's still good offense. You know, it's just not good finishers, not good. Sh uh, and so if whatever happens in the playoffs, whether it be, you know, uh, Jesus, Maxters gets hot <laughs> or you just get, uh, you know, the different people or maybe Tyler decides, hey, I'm going to take 12 threes every time. And sometimes he's going to hit seven of those. Um, I think you can still hold out hope for something with this postseason. You don't have to throw it all out the window right now, despite how frustrating it feels. That was a long answer. But it was a very good answer, too, because you brought up a great segue into my other point of you touched on they'll go into Philadelphia with a healthy Embiid, right? And then they'll look not great, but they'll still lead for like most of the game. It's almost a wire to wire finish for them. And then they follow it up with just getting, you know, taken out back against the same exact team minus Embiid on their own home floor. It's, it, it's extremely frustrating because it's impossible for this team to get what feels like easy buckets. They, it, everything is hard for them. Simple motion offense makes my eyes bleed because they can't do it. It's so frustrating to watch because they have talent, but on the other side of things, they also have players that they pay a lot of money that aren't very talented. One wears 55 that I won't ask Harry about because we all know how Harry feels about Duncan Robinson. I won't do that. I'll spare you the details of that, Harry. But what I wanted to really ask you now, Izzy, is you talked about Tyler Harrow too, just if he turns into a guy that's just going to shoot more in the playoffs. We saw it last season. It's now been – he's been in the league for what? This will be his fourth postseason, if I'm not mistaken. And he's been bad for the last two. The first one, I know you can make the cop out that it was the bubble, blah, blah, blah. He played good. It was a rookie in the playoffs. He played pretty darn good for them. 
But in the last two years, he hasn't, he's been pretty lackluster. And now he's got a bigger price tag on him, which comes with expectations. Regular season, Tyler, he's been wishy-washy to say the least. Is this a make or break year for Tyler Hero in the playoffs? Hmm. Um, well, in terms of the bubble thing, um, I would say basically everybody in that situation was was in a best case scenario. Um, no travel, uh, you know, great treatment, same situation, you know, no fans. And so if you and, and it was early in his career, so it was a, a very heartening situation. Um, you can look at that and say that was a good uh, projection of who he could be. Um, just in the same way you, you say that about Jamal Murray. If he, you know, if all things are right, man, Jamal can give me a 50 piece in the playoffs. Um, and that was when he was a baby. And so that was that was a good sign. Uh, I think the circumstances in year two were really difficult. And I think yet last year, um, the season uh, was very much suited for him because he, with that second unit, he it's almost like being sent to the G League without having to go to the G League. You can just sort of, you know, sow your oats and get out there and know what it's like to find your shots and find your teammates, et cetera. And then where it became really difficult is – uh, well, first of all, the playoffs, I, I think it's really difficult. So two things. One, even though Tyler did all that in the regular season, everybody knew, especially inside that organization, that if they were going to be at their best, you can't really, even then, even last year, rely on a young, you know, low 40s to mid 40s percent shooter. Um, and, you know, I'll get to this part in a second in terms of why he's been so much better this year. but then is what you required that is what you required then of tyler and if he wasn't healthy and even if he was healthy wasn't going to be able to give you that level of consistency when defenses are focused in on you then you knew hey if if this is going to work it's got to go through jimmy and you know bam's going to be able to get his points however but really it's got to go through jimmy and so it became very obvious early in that postseason, hey, this wasn't going to be the same amount of opportunities. Whether he's healthy or not, was not going to be the same amount of actual opportunities for Tyler. And so it became a difficult postseason to judge, especially when you consider that by the end of it, he just wasn't healthy, not even healthy enough to play. Where this season is, is different and potentially has a better role for him in the postseason is that. I mean, I don't know if you've you've noticed it or felt it the same way I have, but he's definitely been about creating. He's definitely been about finding his teammates. And and like I said earlier, you know, I don't think it's happened. To, and there's probably a stat for this. There's probably somebody who, who tracks this. But the amount of time that he finds an open three point shooter and it just you know it's just, it's a miss. I think it's probably more than anybody else in on this, on this team. Uh, and so. But he's still been sticking to that. He has still been, you know, finding the right pass and a lot of times finding great passes. Um, and that if he had better finishers and better people around him, it would look like, you know, he has got a great basketball IQ and a great sort of combo guard. And I think the reason why that's so important is when you do get to the playoffs, it's yeah, it's still going to be, hey, it's best when Jimmy has the ball a ton and is, and is initiating the offense. So, okay. You initiate the offense, Tyler. You find him, uh, and if not, you find somebody else. You find that open shot. It's not, oh, if Jimmy doesn't get it, then it's my turn. I've got to do something. And that's where he puts himself in tough situations when he knows he has to be the guy to score on this possession or you know in this uh, series of possessions. And I think um, 
the ideal situation for him would be essentially a, a G League assignment, but you can't do that because it's just not the same quality of basketball. So he's going to sort of get cheated into thinking, oh, this is where my shot's going to come from. This is where my shot's going to come from. And never mind that you've already paid him all this money. You can't do that. Uh, but I think that's where it's just like, all right, this season has been a season of growth in terms of him seeing how to to be the handler, how to be the initiator. And, you know, if it were to come a day where Kyle is no longer here, you could you could see him being essentially the point guard of this team. And you can book, you know, you can look to find another combo guard as as his backcourt mate, as opposed to a true point guard, because I think you're looking at, you know, unless some sort of trade comes this offseason, you know, for a Joel Embiid or something like that, uh, you're probably looking at at Tyler and Bam being, you know, a heart of this organization for a few years. I think that that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense too, because just simply from the aspect of Jimmy and Jimmy's getting older and Tyler needs to take some reins now, because like I said earlier, you know, his price tag is going to increase, especially next season. And then with that price comes more expectations. And then, you know, you're just going neck and neck with that. And people are already, people are going to be mad at Tyler no matter what. That's just, that he's a polarizing player. So he, yeah. He just well, one thing that they can't like, one thing that this season has continued to prove to me, especially late in the season is like, he is not, maybe ever going to get in his own head. Like he is not that guy you have to worry about. Like if you give him the chances, you know, I mean, he, to me would be uh, in 2k, like by the end of his career, like hall of fame volume shooter, because you trust that guy down the stretch. You trust him. That doesn't matter how poorly he's been shooting, that it's going to be the same shot every time. And, you know, he's, it's, it's not, it's not just like some blind level of confidence. Like he knows he's got that ability. And so that part I love about him, that part I love about the idea of being in the playoffs. And it's like, hey, you need a big shot now. I'm going to be healthy. I'm at least going to be available to give you that big shot. I'm at least going to be out there on the floor where, hey, if if Jimmy's got a situation where it's, you know, maybe a two on two, three on two fast break to save the season, he's very willing to kick it out to that guy because he's been able to prove to you it doesn't matter the situation. I'm confident shooting this shot. And I think that is you know a clay thompson type of of characteristic a skill is is great to have and hard to come by i wish bam had that mentality too man <laughs> i really do if bam could just not be bothered by like missing a couple in a row because tyler last night or against uh who, who'd they play the other night it was um harry help me out here who utah or orlando utah it was utah yeah where he he was like one for nine from three mm-hmm. and then he, he stepped up big and hit the go-ahead game winning, theoretically, three-pointer to beat Utah. So it's like, I love his mentality. He does not get in his own head, and he's not really worried about, you know, he, he'll he make his next shot kind of mentality. And I just wish Bam had that because that would really make a lot of the arguments against yeah. Bam kind of obsolete. But. Well, I mean, it's it's just tough. It's like, hey, Bam, be more of an offensive player. Okay, great. I missed three shots. Damn it, I don't want to miss those shots. Like, you're asking me to do more and then asking me not to, you know, recognize when I'm failing. And so uh, it would take a long time for him to get there. He's got to be like a regular, like he was hoping to be this year, an 18 to 20 shot a game person to have that type of memory. Pre-All-Star game, Bam, I think is there. Post? Eh, well, I just think it's a streaky Bam. Like it's, it, he's going to, like there's going to find that, that touch again. And it's going to, those shot. it's not even the shots like are off when he's off. It's, it's not the same opportunities. It's not, you know, cause it's a guy, it's not a Kevin Durant who's just so used to getting to his spot and rising up. Like he's only now recognizing what that is. 
And then, you know, now it's the defense saying, oh, that's his spot. Well, I'm going to prepare for that. And now it's him saying, okay, now I've got to get a counter for that. And that's all happening within the season. And, you know, <clears throat> we've been spoiled with Bam because it's always like, hey, figure that out. And then he does figure it out. And so now it's just like, all right, he's figuring this out within season, basically within the last two seasons, more so this season than last year. And and he's doing a, doing a damn good job with it. Like the middle of the season would have been an absolute disaster if he didn't find that offensive groove. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough when you've got a three headed monster and all of them. Actually, only two of them really require Bam and Tyler require to get into that rhythm. And really only one of them has the opportunity to get into a rhythm whenever he wants to. And that's Jimmy. And he probably doesn't need it as much as the others. Is it? Do you think there's any, um, like anything to the fact that the, often it, when Bam's playing really, really well, J- Jimmy's kind of taking a back seat, and when Jimmy now, like at, at post All Star break, Jimmy's really, really turned it on. I mean, Jimmy's whole season has been pretty good, but the last few games, he's like really put the team on his back. I was at the Cleveland game Friday night, and he had like three three straight possessions where he's just driving by guys, getting to the basket, getting whatever he wants. Um, Do you think that takes away from kind of what Bam – because Bam was like – Bam was the dude in the first half of the season. He was – I think he was arguably the Heat's best player on both sides of the ball, and he was doing everything they needed. And as Jimmy's game has started to progress post-All-Star break, Bam started to struggle. And do you think those things are related to each other or just bad timing or what would you No, I think they're related to each other. Um, So it's funny because before the season started, I was on hoop streams and I said, you know, there was like, Hey, say something, make some wild prediction about the season. And my wild prediction, because I don't say stupid shit just for the sake of saying stupid shit. I said that Jimmy would be the heat's third leading scorer. And you know, the reason I'd say that is because, well, they're going to be a better team. And if they're going to be better, it means that Tyler and Bam have to, you know, flourish offensively. And Jimmy can take a back seat during the regular season because that's not when it really matters, blah, blah, blah. It'd be really close, but he will be their third leading scorer. Now, it looked for a second like that could be the case um, early on, especially when Jimmy was missing games. Um, but while Bam and Tyler can find a good, you know, chemistry and sort of situation where they can both flourish uh, and play off of each other and succeed um it's just you just don't see it as much with jimmy and bam like the pick and roll doesn't have the same fluidity like jimmy's not as willing to make some of the passes that some of the other guys make whether it be the pocket pass or the lob pass um you know maybe bam's not expecting it because he thinks jimmy's either gonna you know go to the line or try to get himself to the line or to the basket um and so that chemistry just doesn't have i mean is it just me or has it been like a long time where that should have been that should have been better by now uh because it's it it just it just isn't and um i think that's where you know what you're looking for could be like you could still have jimmy you know getting his and bam getting some easy points if that pick and roll duo were a little bit better um, or even just like the interior passing between those two were better didn't have to be via pick and roll. Um, but that's just not there. And so I feel like, you know, um, y- you require it from the other players and then it's either to be one or the other jam or jam, uh, bam or Jimmy going off. And rarely is it both at the same time. I wanted to bring it back to a point you made before about, um, uh, Tyler's shift in his, uh, in his offensive, um, his outlook. 
playing more as a facilitator, a passer. So I want to get his teammates open. Uh, moving into the playoffs as well, Jimmy's been known to when he gets hot, when he gets to his spot, you know, he, he the ball's in his hands. So and he becomes more of a primary ball handler than than you know we've seen through most seasons. Even when Goran was here, he was still arguably you know the playmaker for the team. When it comes to playoff time this uh, for this um, off season, hopefully when we make it, the the question I'm trying to ask is, will Tyler Hero's role be reverted more back to a an off ball type player when Jimmy goes into that mode, or, or do you think it'll be more of a shift of of Tyler now uh, taking that mantle as as the primary ball handler? No, I think it has to be Tyler being the initial threat. I think it has to be Tyler forcing the defense to take their eyes off of Jimmy and not see where, you know, where his post up is coming, where his tack is coming or whether his cut, you know, off the ball is coming. And I think if that is still the case, if, you know, they do manage to contain Tyler and keep their eyes on Jimmy, well, that means somebody else is open. And this is, this is why I'm saying the idea of Tyler being that facilitator to everybody, not just for Jimmy is is so critical um because th- you need that relief in the playoffs you need those open shots um whether it be you know late in the game or just initially just for the in- early moments so that defense never can feel like it is it is comfortable especially right off the bat because then i mean then you're screwed uh, it, you need you need in most cases you know defense will eventually you know uh, figure things out and, and dig in and be a little bit more physical and get away with more, but you can't let that be in, you know, the top of the second quarter, it's gotta be late in the game. And so early on, you've got to have some of those, some of that freedom. And I think that's where Tyler is absolutely critical. Um, not only for himself to get some free buckets, not only to maybe get bam and, and, and make sure he's the threat. Cause like I said, the pick and roll with Jimmy doesn't seem to make bam as much of a threat. And so defenses can play that differently. Um, and Bam can't find his rhythm. If you can find that early outlet that, hey, Tyler's got a couple buckets, Bam's got a couple buckets, they haven't even started to do the Jimmy all the time uh, offense, then you're in a great situation. And you also have the confidence that you can go back to that. You don't have to, you know, once you start going to Jimmy, 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 you have that other option and be like, hey, we know this works. We know they're good enough to do this. And so that's where I think he's got to sort of fill that void. And and I think <clears throat> Tyler knows this. He's talked to me about this. Just he understands the value and, and just the better position that you're in by being even a piece of a successful team. Even, you know, a cog in a successful team is way better than being the man on, on a shit team. And I think now that he, since he already had that mentality, now he's finding the ways to be that impacting player, impactful player, uh, regardless of, of whether it's scoring or not. And I think, you know, you watch him, you see him not get too excited. And I think that's where, you know, that fourth quarter mentality works so well for him because it's just like, all right, even if I've missed a ton, that's not where I'm needed. I'm needed here. And this is where I'm really good. So I think that's how he's going to go into the playoffs, uh, thinking of his role. I'm going to shift gears here now because I talked about it a little bit when I introduced you as well, a little more of a lighthearted topic here because I know the Heat have been so 
So I, I talked about you. Know, I've seen you. I don't want to age you at all because I mean this as a compliment. I've been watching you on Around the Horn since like I'm 26. So I've been watching you on Around the Horn since like high school. It's been a lot, like a decade almost, which is honestly crazy. When, when did you graduate high school? What was that? When did you graduate high school? 2014. Yeah, definitely on the, Around the Horn when you were in middle school. When did you start? Now you're, now you're making me feel even older. 2008, 2009, then I right. took a little hiatus, and then I was back in 2012. That's right. I remember you rejoined when I was in high school. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, I've been watching even longer than I thought, so that's incredible. <laughs> what I want to ask is how do you prepare for an episode? I'm sure you know the topics beforehand, but mm -hmm. do you try to like manipulate – not manipulate. That's the wrong choice of words. Do you try to like gauge your answers based on what you think Tony would like? Because that it leads into another question that I'm going to lead into a follow-up, and I think you know where I'm going with it. But how do you prep just for a generic episode? Um, and it's been an evolution, to be honest, because uh, early on it was, you know, I was a very stat-heavy uh, guy, and because I thought that's just what, you know, Tony wanted. I thought that's the best way to, you know, back up your argument. And it's just like, hey, if I'm going to go up against these guys who have, you know, been doing this forever and have this reputation, I might as well just use numbers uh, because you can't really argue with those. Um, and then it became, oh, okay, you know, a little bit more personality driven. And so it wasn't really me offering my personality more. It was more of just like, you know, just kind of catering to whatever they wanted, whether it be Tony or whether it be one of the other panelists. And so that's kind of like added to my preparation these days. Honestly, I've just kind of uh, gone to, you know, I I'll search for for statistics or anything that is just like, stand out that I think by 5 p.m. Eastern time on any given weekday, somebody else hasn't already pointed out because, you know, if you see something and find something, even if it's ESPN research, it's probably going to be out there for hours uh, before this show actually airs. And so, but if I, you know, short of finding that, um, it's just trying to find, you know, different angles or just something that I want to talk about um, more so than what the actual topic is. Um, that is probably something I've just done more lately because it's, it's, you know, you do it for this long. I just kind of feel like this is what I'm good at talking about. And, um, but I don't really, I don't think too hard about Tony Reale anymore in terms of like what I need to do, uh, to, to make him happy because, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's a weird deal. And these days I'm a little annoyed, just a little inside info. Uh, so ever since 20. February 21, I want to say, um, they put a studio in my home and I don't have to go to a studio and I hate it, frankly. Um, now I do. I, I hate doing my own makeup. I think I look terrible. Um, I hate uh, the two second delay that we have because Tony and I can't really have the same level of banter back and forth. And so, um, you know, it it doesn't really affect my preparation, but it definitely affects my experience on the show. I, it's interesting that you said that too, because I do, I have recognized that in your performance as well, is that it's no longer as statistically analytical. It's more, your personality shines through a lot more on, on some of your answers. So I didn't know that you did the home studio thing, but that leads in really good to my uh, very quick follow-up. So do you do the old, the old industry uh, secret of just only preparing from the waist up for what the camera's going to say? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very rarely uh, wearing pants. Uh, I mean, it's obviously it's Florida, so it's never cold. Um, but yeah, very rarely, rarely wearing pants and very rarely wearing even as much as socks. 
It's it's funny because I, I took it in high school because I wanted to be like a, a media personality or like when I was throughout high school. So I went and toured. I live in Charlotte, so I'm very close to the ESPNU studios. Well, I, I went for a tour there and I saw a whole bunch of people doing hits. So I see just like three or four people lined up all in makeup and none of them wearing pants. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a bit odd. But <laughs> obviously being like a, you know, a 14, 15 year old, I had no idea what I was looking at. So it was like. It was funny to realize, like, yeah, obviously, yeah, the camera doesn't see your legs. Who cares? That yeah. was really funny. Yeah. But just to lean into the other thing that I touched on earlier, too, you got to tell me, man, how, how do the points work? Do you have any idea how the points even work on? on well, he on did this whole bit on, um, on the 20th anniversary special, but uh, no, no, no idea. And, I mean, you know, you kind of get the uh, – <clears throat> He definitely has like all those the new gimmicks now, like the the all the fake reality stuff. Uh, so whenever you you see him looking to use one of those graphics, and you know he's going to get some some extra points or whatever. But honestly, I don't really pay attention to the points anymore. Um, and again, this is my new setup situation. So my monitor, where it used to be, was below the camera. And it's just, it drove me crazy because I'd like, I'd watch the monitor when I'm not on, but then when I am, you know, look right back up to the camera and the, my eye line with, you know, I don't have the tallest ceilings ever, um, is the, the, the lights are right in my eyes. So a lot of the time I just go from like looking like this to just like looking up and like squinting and it's just, it's painful. And I, I, I don't love that. And man, why did I start going that way? What was your initial question? Just how the points work. Any oh, idea? right. <laughs> so I really don't know. Is it really just like Tony's opinion, basically? Yeah, I mean, that, that's really. Oh, and so that's why I was going that way. And so I wanted to avoid that with the monitors. And so I put uh, my monitor behind the camera now and I can't actually see the points. And so for the last, I don't know, half dozen shows that I've done. So it hasn't really been that many. I haven't seen the points and it's lovely. Like until I get to the end, I have no idea whether I'm going to be in showdown or not. And when I am, I'm just like, oh, wow, this is nice. Uh, and so I, I think it's the best way to do that because, um, A, I don't have to worry about, you know, like catering or begging for points. And B, um, I have the proper answer to this question. It doesn't matter to me because I get this question all the time and I'm just like, ah, I don't really know. I don't really know how to answer it. It's just really whatever Tony wants. But now I have a better answer. Doesn't matter because I don't know what the points are as I'm as I'm doing the show. I absolutely love that. It, it's <laughs> it, it must be so alleviating to not even like like you're not catering, you know? Like it's yeah. just really really nice. You're not. It's not hanging over your head like oh shit, I'm down fifteen. Well, points. the other part about it is is so when you know you've got this uh, two second delay, like you know there's going to be awkwardness in like talking over people. I just power through. I don't really care. I just keep talking. And if I hear somebody else talking, nope, I'm just going to finish what I'm saying. Because if I stop, it's going to be up. And then we're going to have to do the whole segment over and nobody's going to be happy. So I just get the that that pleasure, that freedom of just being like, I don't. And it's something I've never been that person in real life. I've always been the one who, you know, be like, oh, OK, I'll ask the next question. I'm sorry. But now I just get the power right through. And it's amazing. So Izzy, they um, they recently did like a March Madness style bracket for around the horn panelists, and I saw that you uh, finished second to I Jay saw this year. Made it all the way to the end and lost to a guy who's maybe and, on ten shows a year. 
Yeah, so I was going to ask you, are you like honored to be one of the top two panelists according to whomever is voting in these polls, or are you just annoyed that they made the wrong choice? So I don't even know if it's a poll. I think it's the gentleman on Twitter who just does this like every year and, you know, <clears throat> by hand draws up. I'm sorry, that's a fine. By hand draws up the uh, the bracket and everything. And I was like, oh, OK, great. And, you know, it was it was, it was an honor uh, to make it to the end now. Don't get me wrong. I thought I was going to win once I got there against J.A. I was like, oh, OK, you know, J.A. slightly more veteran. Let's put it that way. And, you know, I've done more shows lately and I was a wins leader last year. I was like, oh, this is this is a no brainer. This is I mean, I don't even know the biggest uh, mismatch in NCAA finals history. Was it Florida, Ohio State? No, probably not. Uh, but I think I thought it was an obvious uh, win for me. But, you know. I guess I'm uh, number two. George, I saw you wanted to get back in there. Go ahead. Go ahead, George. My question was just uh, was more from the topic before, but I'll go on with something else as well. Uh, you mentioned the point system, and mm -hmm. you say how much it doesn't matter. Like, was that as soon as you saw the points at the start, you were, like you were more leaning towards, right, okay, I'm, I want to win. I want to be there. I want to be at the top. But then it gradually got less and less. Was that the start? Like, I couldn't care. I just want to give up. Well, I mean, off. I think naturally when you, you know, when you start, I mean, I know for, for me, when I started Around the Horn, it was a show that I knew of. It was a fun show, but it wasn't like this thing that had been on TV for 15 years or whatever. So to me, it was just like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go try to, um, I don't know, prove myself a little bit. And like, I mean, if you want me to be really honest, like early on, I didn't love doing the show because I was um, it was in a phase in the show where they were just like using the the panelists in a little bit of like clownish situations. Like, I don't know if you remember uh, when you were in high school where they used to be like uh, four of America's most fill in the blank columnist. And they would just, you know, say something different every time. And then we would just have to like act to whatever that, you know, that adjective was. And then there was one time where I was like, I had to like lick, they asked me to lick my paws like a, like my, like a cat or something. And I was just like, I'm a, I'm a child in this industry. I don't know if I have the, like the resume to get away with this BS. And so um, <laughs> I went, I stuck with the sports reporters and went this, you know, straight and narrow route uh, and sort of developed the reputation a little bit before I came back to Around the Horn when I was with ESPN full time and then just felt freer to be myself. And then for other reasons of, over the years, I've felt freer to be myself since then. So it's always been like, like I say, it's an evolution. It was always like before I was like, hey, I, I want to win because, hey, I can say I won. And when I go home and talk to my friends, they'd be like, yeah, kick Mariotti's ass. But now it's just like, oh, I'm probably going to win once out of every four times I'm on the show. Like if there's something that I really want to get into, you know, in a FaceTime at the end of the show, I will do my damn just to try to win. Other times it's unpredictable. I tell a partner all the time. I'm like, listen, I I have no FaceTime today. I guarantee you I'm going to be at the end and I guarantee you I'm going to win because I don't want to. And it always, almost always happens. And so it's just one of those deals where it's like, yeah, hey, I'm not going to, can't control fate, can't control Tony Reality. Just, you know, sometimes the best shows are the ones where I feel like I'm not going to do well. And all of a sudden it's just a hilarious show and come up with a good FaceTime. So is that something like you 
every time you know you're going to be on the show for an episode, you sub, you just kind of like come up with your own FaceTime the day of when you know that you're going to be on just in case that you win it. And then sometimes you just, like you said, sometimes you just don't have one. Well, so I was kind of the guinea pig when, uh, or the victim uh, that allowed people to just never say you don't have one. Uh, because one time, and this was this was before I took the little hiatus, which didn't help. Uh, normally, if you don't like, if you just screw up something, or if you don't have a FaceTime or whatever, um, you can back then you could just say, "Yeah, I don't really have one." You can let such and such win. Well, one time, Tony thought he was would be hilarious, and it was funny. I mean, it was funny to everybody else, but it was funny, <laughs> and. Uh, I told him, I was like, yeah, I don't really have a FaceTime. I just flew in this morning. I was on a road trip, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay. And so we go through the showdown and da, 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 and he gives me the win. And I'm just like, because, you know, it's taped or whatever. I'm just like, they're clearly going to. And so he was just like, oh, what do you, what do you want to talk about? And I was just like, mm, and I just kind of was like, I was like, I don't really have anything. I got to kind of like created, the, I told him the same excuse and whatever. And what I really should have done is cursed because I would have forced them to redo the segment, but they didn't, I didn't, and they just went with it. And it was hilarious, again, to everybody else. Uh, and it was a memorable show moment, but ever since then, like, I'm like, I'm never gonna say I don't have one. I'll, I'll ask like a producer on the side, hey, what do you got? Is there anything? Uh, but for the most part, <clears throat> whenever, um, you know, Aaron Solomon or Josh Bard ask, those are the producers, uh, I'll have something to offer because I feel like if I ever do that again, it's just going to set me up one more time. So I have a, a lead into another show that you were on, which we paid our respects earlier. Rest in peace. Highly questionable. Phenomenal show. Were you ever on an episode when Poppy wasn't intrigued? I know you can call, you can count on one hand how many times Poppy said, no, he wasn't intrigued instead of CC. Were you ever there when he wasn't? It's hard to remember because I used to watch the show anyway. And so uh, <clears throat> it was hard to differentiate from when I watched to when I didn't, uh, to when I was actually on it. But um, no, I don't think he ever said no while I was on there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. And But he's still probably the person I get asked about the second most. And first most is oddly Stephen A, who I haven't worked with in years. That is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess because ESPN and blends and people just want to see like, hey, is he really as colorful as he is on television in real life? Yeah, they used to How ask me the same things about Skip. Oh, with Skip, that's right. Yeah, because you were yeah. there with Skip too. can only imagine what that, being in a room. Were you, I can't recall if you were ever on first take. Yeah, I used to do first take um, pretty regularly before it became just a, a Stephen A and Skip joint. And... I, I remember the very last time I was on uh, with Skip and it was, I don't know, I'd probably been on it like four or five times with him. And it was one time where I'd said, uh, and I didn't prep him for it because why would I? Uh, but I'd said the clutch gene, I was like, y you know, that's not a thing, right? Like that's not a real measurement of any sort. And after the segment, he, he was like, you know, I've done, you know, I've built up a lot and created that, you know, that phrase. And it's been, I'm just like, 
wait a second, you're actually taking offense to this? Like nobody's ever said to you before that that's not a real measurement and it's just, you know, some trash that you came up with. Um, and he was just like super offended that I was on air and didn't tell him or give him a heads up. That I, And not that I had planned that whatsoever. It was just on the fly. And so, um, yeah, sure. I don't think I was on ever again with him. And then soon after that, I think it became a him versus Stephen A. Soli situation. And then so basically everybody was just a guest every once in a while. You don't think that's a coincidence that you were never on with him again? You don't think you whispered in the producer's <laughs> ear? I don't think I, I don't think I'm very influential in any um, decisions that the people at ESPN make, to be honest. But I think it was, you know, if they're running things by skip after that, he was probably like, yeah, no, I don't want to work with that guy anymore. I figured. Harry, I want you to get back in here. I'm tossing the mic to you figuratively. Um, That's cool. I was actually, uh, Izzy, I had a question kind of related back to basketball a little bit because um, I get a lot of heat online, pardon the pun, and so does the basement a little bit where we're just a little bit critical of, the heat front office and it just seems like we're kind of at a point where they're just kind of waiting on the next guy who wants to be here without um, really doing much to make sure that happens. And so like, where do you think the, where do you think the team kind of goes from here? Like, is there a move you'd make this summer? If let's say I'm not as optimistic as you, like I kind of see this team mm -hmm. losing in four or five games in the first round and, you know, have obviously just going to the summer, like, what can this team do going forward? How do they compete with other teams in the league that have been losing for a lot longer and have more draft capital? And so when a guy becomes available, they're probably not going to end up on the heat unless they say, you know, my, I want to be in Miami. That's it. So like, what do they do going forward? If this is, this kind of flames out the way I think a lot of us think it's going to yeah. happen. Like, um, no, go ahead. No, just like where where does the team go from here? Like, do they start? Um, do they look into trading Tyler? Do they start looking around to um, finally using these draft picks that you know they have a couple of them to use? Like, what are your what's your thought process? Because my thing, and I think the big issue with the Heat is they mm. they haven't done a lot to build around Jimmy or Bam, right? Uh, at least well, and. Uh, I feel like this trade deadline was a big win for me personally because I've been saying that second round picks are like the new wave that anytime you had a guy that you could move who you weren't going to bring back next season, you you should move them even if it was for a second round pick and people laughed at me and they still make fun of me for wanting to trade second round picks. But I think I think 70 of them were moved at the deadline. So, so your thing was to get rid of, to trade second round picks for players. No, no, no. So essentially like collect second round picks. So essentially, like, let's say, for example, this season, right? I don't think the Heat are bringing back Struess. I don't think they're bringing back, um, like, Yurt Seven, who has obviously got hurt. But these are guys that had some value in the offseason, could have been moved for something. There was the rumor that there was an offer for Struess at the deadline for a second-round pick. Like, Oof, I would have taken that one. Yeah, that's so that's, <laughs> a, that's what I'm saying. Like, why wouldn't – why doesn't this team recognize sometimes that it's not – you know, they, they talk about championship or bus and they talk about always competing, but it's not always your year. It's, you know, stuff happens yeah. like. So, I mean, all right. So it's really tough because regardless of who you are, um, like the Lakers, for example, are probably the one franchise that has just gone the please a star come here 
and it kind of works, you know. Um, but where else has that really worked? Um, and then so you've got to what either piece together the right team via free agency, but a lot that still has to have, you know, a lot of that has to be with your main guy. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's it's weird. The key, I think, to all of this stuff, building whatever big three, big championship team, or um is having one of your own there, you know, whether it be, you know, Paul Pierce with the Celtics, you know, Dwayne with the heat, like it's gotta be one of your own guys. And so that's why I think, you know, as a side note, there's been some difficulty with, you know, Jimmy and Kyle and, you know, they did most of their work and built their reputation elsewhere. And as much as Jimmy seems like he's the perfect fit for the heat, you know, they have some differences and, you know, Kyle certainly is, doesn't give a, flying bleep about the heat franchise he won a championship elsewhere he's here to help you you know we need you more than what is it i need you more you need me more than we need you uh more than you need us something like that um and so i think um i think that's that's got to be part of it and i'm not saying that this group can't win a championship i mean hell bam and tyler were that but if they're going to build something in the long term you've got to either say, all right, we're going with Tyler and Bam and we're going to trade a Jimmy for a, a high rent draft pick, a high draft pick, and really uh, create that, you know, Spursian type of long-term feel. And, you know, that would create a, you know, a runway for Pat Riley to sort of take off and say, I leave you in good hands. You know, that's not really my style of, of building. Um, or you go, the other route, which is what they've always done is, you know, take advantage of another superstar, this unhappiness to supplement exactly what you need, what you already have in place. And so what's next? Well, there's those, one of those two paths, either they really flame out in the first round or even a play in, like they lose two games and are done. And Jimmy's like, all right, my time here seems to have come to an end. I don't think you can recover that quickly. Um, get whatever you can for me and build around Tyler and bam, or you get more likely scenario where the heat show up and show themselves for who they are. Jimmy being playoff Jimmy. And you get, I don't know, maybe a Joel Embiid with another early exit. And you find a way to get him down to Miami with Jimmy. And, you know, it's already been setting up for that. Like with the conversations with the, that's my guy. I love you, brother. And Miami needs a super, another star, blah, blah, blah. It's already setting up for that. So, you know, Miami is very much a franchise that is, they do a great job of planning. They do a great job of, of not cooking the books, but, you know, <laughs> manipulating the books to make sure that they can get what they can get. But they're essentially fly by the seat of their pants. Like every once in a while, you're going to sign a Dion Waiters and, uh, you know, a James Johnson and like cross your fingers and roll the dice. And like, man, it might take a couple of years, but hey, they found a way to make something of that. And so they're just trying to find a way to, you know, to find the finishing piece of what they have while also knowing. And frankly, this is the best position they've been in as far as this concerned for a while. Also knowing that, hey, all things, uh, all things fail. We've got two really strong young franchise pieces that we can sort of strip down and not be completely stripped down. And so 
I think that's kind of where they go. They just see where these playoffs go. And um, if they can, you know, poach another superstar, they have a history of that. They have multiple examples of them having done that and giving, you know, their fan base an injection of uh, excitement. And so you just kind of do that. You hold out hope that, hey, they might be able to do this again because they've done it pretty much at every turn. Uh, Izzy, do you think there's some overcompensation from the way Wade left the heat and the fact that they seem to now like overpay some of their own guys um, in free agency? Like you talk, you just brought up a Deion Waiters. You, you talk about a James Johnson. They've paid a lot of money for Duncan Robinson that hasn't really worked out. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything like from that? They basically you know, they let Wade go and they probably regretted that decision um, pretty quickly thereafter because they were worried about giving him like the Kobe contract. They talked about that for a while. They didn't, they didn't want the heat to kind of putter out the way the Lakers did at the end of Kobe's career. And mm-hmm. then, you know, here you are years later and it just seems like they really overvaluate their own. My big thing is like, I don't mind the undrafted free agents work if, if they come in and develop them into role players, but you got to move on from these guys. And, um, you know, you got to move them before they leave for nothing. So, yeah, it's a gift and a curse with you know the franchises that are able to develop, you know, something out of nothing, if you will, um, because in the end, there's a ceiling on those guys. And while it is, you know, a humble brag to be like, hey, look what I can do with Max Struess. Uh, it's also, you know, two years later, it's man, it's Max Struess. You know, it's Duncan Robinson. It's Gabe Vincent. And so I think, you know, I think the Dion James Johnson, you know, um, Hassan Whiteside era was sort of a blip in the radar because they were so kind of maybe not burned, but just kind of didn't know really what to do uh, with the post Chris Bosh because of, you know, his condition and post Dwayne Wade when he decided to take a dip elsewhere. Um, it just seemed like they were panicking a little bit. Um, I think with the, the overpaying their homegrown guys, their own grown guys, I think it was sort of a one and done situation perhaps with, with, uh, with Duncan uh, I don't think it's going to happen again. Um, you know, I don't think they're paying Gabe. I don't think they're paying Max. And I think, um, you know, it's like I said, it's a gift and a curse. And so I think um, while you do want to be able to to stash those guys as rotation players, you don't want to have to pay them. And so I think they come to that realization where it's just like, all right, if somebody else wants to pay Max, if somebody wants to else wants to pay Gabe, cool. Otherwise, we can slot them into what we can afford. And we'll go from there uh, because, you know, they know it's not about those guys. They can find those guys pretty much anywhere. Um, uh, You know, has that been a detriment? It's interesting because, you know, there's been sort of shifts in in the franchise. Like Dwayne has been that one um, fixture over the years. And thank goodness for Dwayne because he overcame sort of the power of Shaq, right? Shaq was able to come through Miami and not take over the franchise somehow. You know, Pat was still in control in large part because his superstar, Dwayne Wade, was not that, you know, that guy who would just you know worry about the, the fame and, and all that stuff. He was, he was a franchise guy. He was a team guy. And then you move forward. It's just like, man, that strength of Dwayne and Pat also overcame LeBron James. And that was a way tougher challenge because, you know, do you ever get the itch, Pat? 
um, you know, it's LeBron bleeping James who's using your franchise as a, you know, a, a building block in what he's going to say. And most people say will be the greatest career of all time. So you're welcome. And yet they still held their ground. They were still talking to the media all the time. They were still like, hey, team heat organization first before the individuals. It gets more difficult when you start losing your guy, when it becomes, you know, Jimmy coming from elsewhere, Kyle coming from elsewhere. Yeah, Bam's our guy, but is he really in charge, you know? And so all those things sort of fracture a little bit at what, you know, the Heat is known for. And so maybe they just really like that guy that they built up that they know is going to be loyal and they know no matter what it, we say or do if we want that guy he's going to do whatever we say as an organization and so i think they slightly overvalue those guys that they've brought up on their own and, and created that relationship with and so i think it's a long drawn out way of answering your question probably more than you wanted um of sort of the philosophical view and the personal view but also you know they've recognized it they've been burned by it they're not going to keep doing that. I wanted to bring up as well, and I hate being this person to always um, bring it back to a previous point, but um, there's something interesting you brought up more the the most ideal and probably the most realistic way the Heat uh, progressed throughout the seasons coming up is they, they look for that disgruntled star to, to move, uh, you know, to make that move, to make that claim that they want to come down to South Beach. And um, look, I'm, I'm the same as every other fan, um, and we, we, you know, we clamor to rumors. We clamor to, uh, to, to hear, you know, the buzz of this new player claiming that that we're on the list. Mm -hmm. And you, we claimed it with uh, you claimed before that uh, you know he kind of shuffled their feet when it came to uh, the post Dwayne Wade and the post Chris Bosh era. Uh, they paid James Johnson. They paid Dion Waiters. They paid Hassan Whiteside. And it, I don't feel like there was a long term plan there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, maybe the Heat have, a, uh, you know, like they kind of shuffle their feet in certain situations. We started with the Giannis rumors very early on, you know, that turned into the James Harden rumors, which turned into the uh, the Kyrie, the, the you know, Kevin Durant, and the Durant, yeah. Donovan Mitchell. And we have all these, you know, situations where we sit here and say, this person could have been next. We could have had the Donovan Mitchell. It's still going on today. I hear it every single day. Um, and they get louder and louder and louder and coming from Australia, you can hear the rumors <laughs> even louder. If when I can hear them here, that means that everyone can hear them. Um, hear them in the future. In the future. Exactly right. <laughs> hear them ahead of time. So I'm what, the basically what I'm trying to ask as well with the next step looking towards that, you know, that Joel and B, it feels like that's, that's what it has been building to. And you see it every time we play Philly, every time they come here, yeah. Jimmy and, and, and Joel and B have that affinity for each other where it's more like, you know, that guy's my brother and that guy's this and that guy's that. Do you think that's the most like the most realistic option as a free agent, or do you think that they would? It feels like you're asking me have the Heat lost their touch, right? Because they've gotten they got Shaq, they got LeBron, they got Jimmy, but they've you know not necessarily whiffed, but haven't been able to land those other guys. Well, they're all very circumstantial, and it's also very much again similar to the other situation of you know being able to create all these players out of thin air is a gift and a curse, like everybody's not going to follow the same path there. Kevin Durant, as much as he would have loved to be in Miami, let's say, you know, if he got his wish last year, they were on the list. Like ideally Kevin Durant would not have to go the same route LeBron James did. 
ideally, I mean, if you remember back when the decision was made, what were people saying that Le LeBron was doing? He was, you know, riding Dwayne Wade's whatever. I would say coattails. Other people said other things. Uh, and so I, I don't think that it's just an automatic of, yeah, let's Giannis, same thing. Like he would have been the next one and be like, oh, I couldn't do it in my, you know, Midwestern town. Let me go do the same thing LeBron did. No, I, I want to do something different. And so now I think what you have is enough time has passed where it's like, oh, wow, it's been a decade since this team's won a championship. Okay. It's been 10 years since that Ray Allen shot coming up. Um, and so, and you look at the different people that are there. It's like, hey, I'm not going to go win one for Pat Riley, but I want to go win one for Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, I want to go win another one for Eric Spolstra, who, you know, is a Hall of Fame coach and not just LeBron's coach. Um, and so I, I think that is where you see, well, okay, these relationships are going to eventually pay off because frankly, there's only so many of these desirable franchises. There's the Lakers, there's the Knicks, supposedly. There's, um, I mean, how many other are there? Uh, there's not that many Golden State now, but really that's just a matter of, of Steph and them winning. So if you go through the short, you know, rotation of teams uh, and organizations, eventually it'll come back to, hey, there's a reason for me to be able to to go to Miami and build my and create my own story now, and not just be somebody who's you know piggybacking off of, of LeBron's success. Uh, and so, yeah, I think they still have it in that respect. They've maintained those relationships. They've maintained the idea uh, throughout this throughout the NBA that they are a glamour organization still they weren't that in 2010 when lebron got there um but now you're talking about you know an entire career somebody could have started their career in 2010 i mean i can find a list right now people who started their career in 2010 and are out of the league now and they watched miami be super relevant throughout and so you know they're going to be considered a glamour franchise and so whenever that you know every once in a while when those chances come up when those chances come about they're going to be in the mix and, you know, frankly, they're going to land one, whether it be uh, an Embiid or, man, if, if Damian Lillard finally breaks that curse that Portland has on him, you know, something like that. But I think, you know, they have all the confidence in the world to think that they can still do that. So I've interacted with our fans a little bit on Twitter and I, I asked some, I pulled some people for some questions. So what I have with me right here is a Twitter poll question for you specifically. And it comes to us from Twitter user at Greek God Gutierrez. I don't know why his ad is that, but that's what it is. And he asks, how did you get so ripped? And do you have any tips? Wow, that is not my burner account. You should know. Um, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just reading what the tweets are. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad people think I'm still 2016 ripped because, you know, that was a long time ago. And uh, I was on a mission back then. Now I'm like probably like 10% less of that. Uh, but that was just... Um, I don't know what that was. Uh, how is just, you know, honestly, you could find any any trainer, anybody can help you get through any routine. It really is just a matter of of being right in the kitchen and, you know, having a, a very strict diet. Like I used to like I'm drinking wine right now. Like I used to get really upset with myself if I would have a glass of wine at the end of the day. I, I just, just wasted calories back then. And I don't know where my mindset was. I think you just got to be in a special place. And, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but um, it's mostly just doing the right things in the kitchen, mostly making sure um, like for back then I had to force myself to eat a lot because I'm not somebody who just like loves to 
eat for no reason unless it's like amazing food. And so you just got to really be committed to it. And I don't know how else, like people are always looking for tips and like this special workout routine. There's no special workout routine. There's nothing. You can do a million different things. I've never done the same thing. Like never really like attached some sort of program and it's like the same thing over and over. It's just, it's something different every time. And so um, if you're committed to, to eating right and, and doing exercise, then eventually you're going to look like that too. Elegantly put. So what you're saying is you're not above having a little pie on 3.14 day, the day that we're recording on. Wow. Today is pie. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Oh, I was yeah. at the I supermarket about an hour before we recorded here and man, I did not think about that. I should have. I love pie. It's absolutely phenomenal. So the last thing we'll, we'll send it off with this. I, we've talked Definitely about, the we talked 10. about Miami in general, and it's easy to say good things about the dolphins too. You know, they just went and got Jalen Ramsey. Great pickup for them. It looks like the Dolphins are actually going to be competitive. They'll win maybe a playoff game for the first time in over a decade. It'll be phenomenal for them and their fan base. Great for them. I have a harder question for you, though, because you can mm. say nice things about them. You can say nice things about the Hurricanes that are in the NCAA tournament. You can say good things about the Heat. I want you to say just one good thing about the Miami Marlins. It's hard, but try. Yo, those uniforms, like what are they called? The blue and red ones? Those are Those are pretty dope. Those are cool. Yeah. Also, um, you know, I I am intrigued to see what Jazz Chisholm can do in center field. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, but anything that it sort of draws intrigue, I think, is probably good. And let's see. I mean, if I can go back and say the Florida Marlins, like that's the first team I covered in my professional career. And so, you know, Technically, they, it was my springboard to the rest of my career. So thank you, Florida Marlins, now Miami Marlins. So there you go. A few good things. Phenomenal. Absolutely great. My one thing would be I like the teal uniforms, that they're bringing those back for very select Friday home games. They couldn't even give it to us for a season. It's very, yeah. very select Friday home games. That's what Miami people get to look forward to. Another random uh, Florida Marlin thing, which if we would combine with a, a popular podcast, um, famous people you've peed next to. Um, for whatever reason, I will always remember peeing next to Mark Katze at a, um, an alehouse that we were both randomly hanging out in. And I say peeing next to like more figuratively, because as somebody with a bit of a shy bladder, especially next to a famous baseball player who at the time I was covering, uh, yeah, I was not actually peeing. <laughs> I was just standing there waiting for him to get to <laughs> And that is the kind of information you don't get on Around the Horn. Incredible. I'm adding that to my repertoire of questions that I'll ask people. Is most famous person you've peed next to? And, I'll, and I won't steal it. I'll let them know who I got it from. All right, cool. We do things very right here on the Random Scrub Heat podcast, which brings us to the conclusion. Thank you so much, Izzy. It was honestly, I, I, I look at the time now. It's been over an hour. It doesn't feel like it. We were literally just shooting it back and forth, talking some ball. Yeah, no problem. But before we go, who's everybody's favorite uh, Random Scrub Heat killer? Harry, I'll let you go first. Ugh, my favorite guy. Um, I just forgot. Man, he got I, there. I, there's so many, and I just forgot the guy who always killed us. Um, I'll tell you. And I, well, so my favorite current day is Malik Monk. Um, and I would say back then, I think my favorite of all time, uh, and he's not even a scrub. 
but I would say if you look back in the, the, the annals of NBA history, you could call him that, Ben Gordon. Jesus effing Christ, Ben Gordon would just create nightmares for Miami. In fact, if you remember the, the This Is My House game, he, he was the one who was just hitting those ridiculous shots. And so, yeah, I would say probably Ben Gordon is the one that, that stands out. But I think it's, it's a disservice to him because I don't think he was a scrub. No, yeah. 2000s LJ still has cold sweats thinking about what Ben Gordon did to my favorite franchise. But that's okay. To answer your question, I would say Evan Fournier. Don't look up his last name, but Evan uh, Fournier is on, on the Mount Rushmore. His face is carved in stone of the random scrub heat killers. Mine's Terrence. Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross, for Ooh. sure. No, there's no one that's done it with more style than Terrence Ross against us. I don't know what... I've always thought Terrence Ross would be a great Heat guy. Like, he is absolutely Wayne Ellington 2.0 in that he doesn't need, you know, that much time to get rid of it. And he just has such a high release point because he's so athletic. I've always thought he'd be perfect in a Spolster offense, but just never made it. Never there's, made it down here. There's another one as well. It's basically half of the Grizzlies roster when we versed them earlier in the season. And Tyus Jones, absolutely. I think it was Tyus or Trey. No, it's Tyus Jones. Tyus, yeah. He's the king of assist to turnover, that guy. He is he's like, a, like a poor man's Chris Paul, Tyus <laughs> Jones. And so every once in a while, he'll give you that type of game. That's a good one. And funnily enough, George's answer and my answer are all Orlando Magic players because mm. that's just the way it seems to go. I mean, you can even and you can't say, but you could say Vucevic if you wanted to because of what he did do, especially in Orlando. But now, I guess this season too, he's been he killed us with the Bulls a couple times this season too. But that's because Spo put uh, what was it? Is Haywood Highsmith on one on one against him, and that's just. That's a recipe for success for this yeah. series. James. My old favorite thing to do instead of random scrub heat killer was like toward the middle of Dwayne Wade's career, start to recognize the people he really just used to murder and just used to embarrass. And uh, Keith Bogans is always top of my list of somebody like if I ever saw him defending Dwayne Wade, good night, Keith Bogans. And Keith was a, like a respectable rotation player in the early 2000s. But man, that was just embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> Mine is, if I, it's not even just Dwayne specifically, it was the whole Heat team just dogging on John Lucas. Mm, yeah, you just clear that one, him. Everyone yeah, forgets about that. Over mean, him. Yeah, LeBron literally escalated over that human <laughs> being. And that well, great time reflecting and reminiscing on when the Heat were very, very, very good. And now they're just competitive. Harry, do you have an answer now? Because I'm not letting you, I'm, I'm not closing the pod without getting your favorite random scrub. I know. I've been, I've been trying to think of the guy. I can't even remember him. That, <laughs> you Googling uh, it? You're, you're pulling it up? I've been trying to look. I'm like going through old tweets. Um, Let's just start rotating them. They always have a hard them. time with like stocky but kind of short shooters. Like uh, people who are built like Mitch Richmond who just out of nowhere uh, will just light them up. Uh, what about Trey Lyles? Is that the one you're thinking of? Trey Laws destroyed us sometimes. No, it's gonna too be, recent. It's I gonna, think Harris thinking of somebody from like. Yeah, it's going to be teams. annoying because I'm going to remember it after. But, Is it Marcus uh, something? Thornton? Yeah, yeah, Marcus Thornton. He was, he was he another. Was a, he, he was, was a another good one good for the Kings too, but we didn't play him enough with him being an East-West. Corey Kitzberg. It's all right. I'll I'll, I'll add to I'll add to I'm the just name them now. I mean, I thought Dwayne Washington Jr. had a good game this year, and that was he he got up there, but. 
Harry's a proud man. He's not just going to throw out some name. He's got to actually research this. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I can't think of it. It's going to happen after, but yeah. it's fine. It's the way. It I think current day Malik Denver. Monk has to be top of the list, even though he's, you know, become more Malik Monk, less yeah, of a scrub no. since he got to Sacramento. He, Malik Monk's high school tape is incredible. And he was good in Kentucky. So it's like, it's just, I think what it was is because he went to Charlotte and that's just where like promising wing careers go to mm. die. Yeah. Because now that he's in Sacramento, I mean, he was okay on the Lakers, that dumpster fire team last year. And then he was, he's been very good, very serviceable in Sacramento. So it's, it's definitely been a revitalization of his career there too. But no, Terry, to your point, Dwayne Washington Jr., he's, he's on, if we have to induct one every season, he's on the ballot this year. Who was that dude on the Jazz last night? Eric Reed was having a nightmare pronouncing his name in the first half. I, that was made up. That was not a real player. <laughs> That's I, I said it. I think I said it in a post game one time where it was like, if you literally, when you're playing franchise mode on 2K and it says, would you like to import a draft class or just auto-generate? Mm-hmm. That man is an auto-generated player in 2K. That's not a, that's not a real human. Yeah. Yeah. I have all my, I, I have all my names here, but I still can't, but like Jody Meeks was a very good. Oh, that was a oh. great one. Um, but I'm the name. Just like I was, ex- I was explaining earlier. Yeah, I mean, there's um, just very frustrating. I'm not going to think of this guy. It'll come later. As soon as we wrap, we're going to be sitting in, in, in post, and you're, you are going to – it'll be one of the first words out of your mouth too because you've done it before. I know you'll do it again. There weren't really, like, big guys, right? Like, was, was Mostly Tyrus – Was it Tyrus Thomas? Was that his name? He wasn't Tyrus, really, wasn't it? Tyrus was – I mean, mostly – he was on the Bulls, and then he was on uh, the Bobcats. Like, Bobcats, yeah. he was also on the no, was he on the Knicks as well? Early on, I'm not sure. I know early on he was on the Bulls. Yeah, he was with the Ben. He was with Ben Corbin sure. on the Bulls. Yeah, he was. They were together on that team. Anyway, all right. Nightmares. Good reminiscent. Oh, I got it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, wow. Anthony, Anthony Tolliver was who I was thinking. Yeah. Are you That's kidding? a good one. <laughs> That you made us wait. You made one. the listeners wait for Anthony Tolliver. Seven no. minutes. Oh. Anthony Tolliver. Totally worth it. You could see the satisfaction in his face. It was perfect. Yeah, I feel I feel so much better. I'm gonna be able to sleep tonight. So <laughs> phenomenal. That's that's where we're gonna all go after this, too. So thank you guys for tuning in, spending some time with your favorite random scrubs. We love all of you. Remember, take care, be good people. Need a stop and a rebound for you. For three. Oh my. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.